right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into another edition of the Just Basketball Show. Welcome to a new week. Welcome to the stretch run of the NBA season. I am Brendan Clean. That is Chris Manning. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the show. Subscribe, follow wherever you're listening. If you are on YouTube, hit that bell down below. Get a notification when the show goes live. Drop us a comment. You can follow us across social media at Just B-Ball Fans on TikTok, at Just Basketball Show on Instagram. Churning out content there. And we appreciate the support. We have a lot to get to today, Chris. As always, the NBA doesn't like to uh, give us any breath, any pause, any uh, any real time to think about all the craziness from last week. But we're going to do our best. The main thing today is going to be X factors for the stretch run of the season. X factors that will basically define who wins the NBA championship this year in a league that's very wide open. Uh, we do have some news to get to first. I don't know how your weekend was, Chris, but I've just been celebrating. I'm I've been um <laughs> just bleary-eyed and running around the streets of Phoenix streaking naked. I don't know about you. I, I don't know if the trade deadline brought the same the Cavs didn't make a move, but that's been my weekend. How how was yours? You know, it's been good. You know, in Cleveland, I feel like there's a lot of attention right now on Joe Thomas making the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's like for most people, I think oh. I think the much bigger deal. First ballot Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. First Brown since the team came back in 1999 to be a Hall of Famer. That's been a really big deal, I think, for people. But the Cavs just, you know, respect to Joe Thomas. Yes, I did. You know, Don, but Saturday night was uh, one of the was a very weird basketball game. It made me feel very weird about the Chicago Bulls. And and I have lots of Andre Drummond things that I, I wish I had maybe like taken recordings of for a TikTok for our, our, our TikTok. But uh, Andre Drummond, I thought I, you were going to say you had a lot of like analysis and thoughts on Andre Drummond. And I was going to ask you to not share. Them. No, so I'm no, glad that wasn't th- where you were this going. is where I went with Andre Drummond. And then I, I don't know if we'll ever talk about him on on the show again uh he i tweeted the benoit blanc gift from the first night out movie that's like it confuses me but compels me though that is me watching andre drummond play basketball um both when he was with the Cavs and like every moment of his career what a and he he, he hit jared allen with the too small in this game and i was like you're like <laughs> like why like why did you like what and like then jared, oh. allen, uh, jared allen otherwise smoked him he had a shackton moment it was, it was like a lot of you know but I, you got the full Andre Drummond experience I got, I, is what it's I got the Pistons in person on Wednesday and then I got Andre Drummond on Saturday. So just like real bit real banner week, real banner week for me for just like incompetence. Spurs on Monday. Yeah, you, this is the weak point in the Cavs schedule, yeah. it sounds like. But yeah. we have some non tanking teams being blown out by good teams. We have some like analysis to get. We to. have like an actually serious like news story to talk yeah. about, which is maybe the first that like there's obviously been big trades that are very serious, but what is happening with Gary Payton the second in this trade, which seems like it's going through, uh is perhaps the most like serious, like we have to use our like serious voices thing we need to talk about here. Yeah. So we talked about the deal a little bit on Thursday when we recapped the deadline, but uh, since then, the James Wiseman for Gary Payton trade, which is effectively what it is, although Kevin Knox ended up in Detroit and uh, the Blazers got a bunch of picks, that's a three-team deal all all said and done. Um, actually, a four-team deal because the Hawks got Sadiq Bey and something that ended up getting wrapped into that um, is in jeopardy. And the reason is 
that apparently, reportedly, there were some discrepancies over the back and forth that happened over Gary Payton's health. If people remember, he missed a lot of the beginning of this season because he's dealing with an abdominal injury. Reportedly, that injury, I guess, never really went away, Chris, and he is expected to miss, I think that the number was three months. Two to three months, or yeah. Up to three months, yeah, uh, for recovery from this thing. Since then, there's been a little bit of a dispute over how he was being handled when the Blazers were responsible for helping him recover. There was an allegation that he was asked to or had taken Toradol, which people will remember as like the thing all the NFL guys take to get up and play every week for recovery and, and like pain management to, to be able to play basketball because he has played some some games for them this season. His agent has come out and said that he never did that. And then you have this Joe Cronin quote, which I won't read all of, but basically the, the hesitancy and like circular nature of the quote is just very bizarre for a general manager of a team being accused of stuff like this to come out and say it was far from we did not do this. This is not how we ever treat players. And we operated in good faith with the Warriors. It's if you knew our process, you wouldn't that that be believing this that, and just all sorts of crazy denial stuff. Yeah, that is it right there. This is the thing that made my eyebrows go up. This is the thing that made me very weirded out by this whole thing more than anything else, frankly, like that. And then when the, the agent goes on the record and is like, this never happened, like, no, 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 like that. And that in itself for an eight, like. We'll get to some other on the record stuff later that was like very telling. But this, these things are when you sit, when you are a p- person in power, and like obviously, I'm not like an NBA executive is not the same as like a politician or like anyone else that maybe holds like real actual like world shaping power, but like a very substantial person in the league. When you go out, when you say, you know, we tr- you trust that we did the right thing and you trust that our process was correct, and these reports, you know, I think that they knew our clear if they think. If you knew our clearance process was proper, I will have to rely on that. You're basically asking them to trust you and like without you being transparent about this. And this is a serious thing. This is a player health issue. The NBA PA, like I would imagine, like has some thoughts about what is going on here. This is asking you to trust yeah. them when you're not actually giving them reason to trust you. They're at you're you're asking your fans probably more than anyone else to trust you because you are a Bla- you are a Blazers fan or whatever, and you like Joe Cronin, maybe you like the movies he's made, you want to support Dame. I haven't seen um, I, I'm going to like look this up now because I should have done this before the show. This is just bad looking up on my part. But like I like it's I wonder what like the, the Blazers players have said about this and what they're saying privately is like a real interesting question to me, because this would if I was a player and I was an agent of a player, this is the kind of comment that I would look at a little bit sideways. I would, too. I mean, there's been. A lot of questioning over recent injuries to other players, right? I think there's been some hearsay going around that I won't even like put out there about other players that have been injured this season and just weird vibes with the Blazers, which I don't have any perspective on, but I think that that speaks to exactly what the problem with the way Cronin has handled this is, right? It's like, no, no, we don't know. Like, maybe we thought we knew what your process was. Maybe we thought we could trust that you handled things the right way, but this exact allegation is forcing us to reconsider that. So just kind of putting it back on like 
well, if you knew what our process was, it's like, well, no, we don't. And that's what the, that's what the investigation that the NBA is now doing will seek to uncover. And that's what the problem is in the first place. Like, I think we're in agreement, Chris, this is not really a, will the, will the Warriors save cap space on getting rid of James Wiseman story? Although that's the like sexy thing to talk about. Cause the Warriors are a big popular team and Wiseman getting dumped was a, a crazy story and this and that, but like Toradol is not a controlled substance. It's not illegal to take, which is part of why I was a little surprised the agent came out so vehemently against that. It wouldn't really be crazy for that to happen. So I kind of, I guess, defer to that must be true that Gary Payton never did anything like that. But even if he felt coerced, even if he felt pressured to play because the the Blazers invested a lot of money in a contract on him and then came to find out he wasn't going to be healthy for the start of the season. Right. It's just a problem. It's just not, it can't be accepted in the NBA that, that that type of thing would go on. It just, you can't have pressure to take substances for players to get on the court. Like no matter what team you are, no matter what investment you give, like I, that, that's just not, not going to be a sustainable way to run a business. I'm sorry. Maybe the NFL, I guess, is the exception, but that's a different whole can of worms. Yeah, a couple of things to, to hit, I think, that are worth noting very quick, factually. This just came through in The Athletic and a story that came out about 20 minutes ago. Uh, he t- According to this story, GPT, Gary the II, took the tour at all orally rather than his shots. That uh, is, in pill form, different than injections as far as the reporting seems to indicate. And Sean Hyken... Uh, who does a great job covering the the Blazers and for his own independence at the Rose Garden Report and like has been around for a long time, noted on his Twitter feed that the only people who have spoken on the record about this situation are Joe Cronin and then his agent Aaron Goodwin via Chris Haynes, who denied uh, the, the the what the Blazers had said, and Josh Hart also gave like an impromptu. I guess I kind of went out of his way after the Knicks game last night to give an impromptu statement, kind of saying very nice things about the Blazers and how they treat people. And they said, Joe Cronin's been great. Uh, so this is, I imagine, an ongoing thing. It's just very weird. It's very weird, uh, very troubling, and just not something you normally see in the NBA. I think that's the real bottom line here is like, it is a culture thing. It is, again, not an illegal substance. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, like an NFL player, I think Micah Parsons tweeted like, way more common than you would think LOL or like something like that about this Cowboys defensive end. And it's like, yeah, but that's not, that's not how it's not how the NBA works, right? It's not business as usual for the NBA. Shouldn't be how it works to put a situation in this shouldn't be. And I guess I just think from Gary Payton's standpoint, right? Like that would as much as, yeah, okay. It's common in, in other sports or different situations for people. It's like he, it only comes out if he's not comfortable with it, right? Or or that there was some sort of problematic nature around how it was. And I think that's kind of where you have to go. And so Cronin being uh, kind of scooting around that doesn't leave anyone more optimistic. We'll just have to see where that investigation goes. And it does sound like this trade is going to happen either way, Chris. But uh, the Warriors now left in kind of this, this weird gray area where they're now having to care for this injury and they got to wait and see what it looks like by the playoffs, I guess, to get the player they thought they were getting in this deal. Yes. All right. So let's move on to another, I thought, kind of not. It's a non-actual on the court thing, which is whatever. But I, Brandon, I don't, when I saw these James Harden comments after he he got asked about the 
Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Exodus from Brooklyn. I I think the quotes that James Harden gave are as about as as honest of a quote as you are going to get from a player on the record in 2023. He went out of his way to basically say, like, that situation was untenable. That situation was broken. And like really seemingly through a lot of that at Kyrie, if you read between the lines of that, it felt like it was like a very big indictment on, on the Kyrie of it all. And that is very, very telling. Yeah. That is very interesting. And for again, I think for a player, particularly a player like James Harden, who is not really like, I don't think I, we don't understand it by how he talks about things or how he speaks to the media about things. That's not really how he's operated for him to kind of be this eloquent. I found really interesting and very telling about what he must be feeling about that situation in retrospect. Yeah, let me read them really quick. So he said, I didn't just ask to leave for no reason. Basically, since Durant got traded, he he was just sort of asked what his feelings were on that situation now that it's the end of that era. He said, I didn't just ask to leave for no reason. I was in a really good place in Houston. Obviously, we didn't have a chance to win a championship, but I was comfortable. So for me to up and leave my family, all the things I created there to come to Brooklyn for a year and a half to try to just get up and leave, it was for a reason. You know what I mean? But I'm happy for the organization and what they've got back. They got some really good pieces. Then he went on to say it was a lot of dysfunction, clearly, but it was a lot of internal things that I'm not going to ever say. So he is kind of holding back there. And then, like, I think the thing that really got highlighted and kind of went viral, Chris, was this, where he said, I don't look like the crazy one. If you fast forward, I don't look like the guy or the quitter or whatever the media wanted to call me. I knew that I knew what was going on. And I just decided, hey, I'm not built for this. I don't want to deal with that. I want to play basketball and have fun and enjoy doing it. And then he said, and fast forward today, they've got a whole new roster. So I feel like he is feeling pretty vindicated, but I don't really know what it tells us outside of my take on this, Chris, is that Harden is getting to a point. If you read some of the quotes that he gave to Ramona Shelburne in in an article that she had earlier this year, you add this to it, taking less money, I think this summer, even falls into it for a player who we maybe thought would never really like get it, whatever that means. And he's thought of as not a winner. I've never necessarily agreed with all of this, but he's this guy who we think of as the only plays one way. He's not a very good locker room presence and and all this stuff. I kind of feel like he is taking on a new perspective and, and public persona as the person who like just is tired of drama. I don't know what that tells us. I don't know if that vindicates him from the times when he caused a lot of that drama. Sure. But he's tired of it. And I think that there's something to be said for that because he is getting to the end of his career. And I'm sure, I do think James Harden wants to win. Like, I've never doubted that about him. I think it also just, t- I think it it is telling about like what different guys level patience with Kyrie stuff could be. And I think that is a reminder going forward with Kyrie. Like he's in Dallas yeah. now. Like what is Luca if, if Kyrie, if and when he does something that is alienating to other players or causes a distraction, like what is Luca's patience going to be with that? Harden may, it's, it very much feels like Harden's whole thing was like winning and like trying to be in the best situation to maximize what I am is more important than like anything else right now. And he leveraged himself in that way to, to end up getting to Philadelphia. And he obviously, what he said about Houston, it's like he could have just stayed in Houston, he could have been a franchise legend in Houston. And and maybe gone yeah. like the Dirk route and tried to kind of maybe want to end up winning a title that way, but he chose a different path in this era that I think and I think it made sense. 
And I and I still, Brennan, when I think about that Nets era, maybe like the best version of that team, and those guys, as Harden hit on his quotes as well, only played 16 games together, which is crazy. The best yeah. version of the team might have been like, hey, like they flip hard and they keep they or they assume they flip Kyrie, get a bunch of debt, get whatever depth they can and, and have Harden and KD and go that way. That could have been a, a thing as well. And I wonder what Harden and like a what if kind of kind of wonders just just about all of that. There There is probably a book. There's probably a 30 for 30, like whatever about that Nets era, because there's just so much there. And I, I do, Brennan, I do maybe put a little bit more on this than I maybe need to just because I find when you feel the honesty in quotes and you and I both cover games in person, we hear guys talk. They don't always say things that are like particularly infor- like informative is maybe too strong, but they don't always say a ton. They say a lot of words sometimes without saying very much, right? Like that, that is, that, that is fine. They're media trained, all that stuff. It's, it's part of trying to, as a, as a journalist, as a, as a writer or whatever, or podcaster, you're trying to like ask questions that give actual thoughtful answers. Harden is to kind of give very thoughtful answers in this way to me just was very telling. And I found it very interesting in that context. I've been waiting for like James Harden this whole time is for a long time to really kind of say something. This is a very declarative James Harden statement that I find just absolutely fascinating. I think it does speak to, and I have a sixer on my X factors list and I have a Mav on my X factors list. So these teams do matter. So I think it, it is right to, to take note of it. And I think you, you do see it to a degree backed up in how he's playing. Like he's leading the league in assists this season. He's only scoring like 21 a game. He's he he's playing very different basketball. And I do think the will he mesh with Embiid question has been answered. The answer is yes. I don't know if that, you know, will they win a championship together is a different level of question, but he is adapted. And so he's he's not just talking, right? He's he's acting on this different way of looking at things I think getting into his mid-30s and being seen for a lot of his career as somewhat of a villain like not only as a guy who you know didn't work out in Brooklyn got you know out of shape and and just burned his way out of out of Houston but also he ruined the game and he doesn't play basketball the right like this guy's been mostly maligned for the entire time he's since he left Oklahoma City and I could see some exhaustion with that and just some sort of like let me just do my thing in Philly, do what everybody's asking me to do, try to win, and we'll see. Now he has to play at an elite level for them to win a championship. And so again, there's always two sides to the off-court and on-court. You got to you got to kind of get it done for people to to buy you and take you at your word, but I agree. I mean, I've been a huge Harden guy forever, so it is refreshing to see him sort of speak up for himself and not allow himself to be the problem there, and I do think you're right that whether it's between the lines or, or directly, like a lot of these arrows do point back to Kyrie for better or worse. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think we should, we got a couple, we got one other, I think, news story to hit. So you want to move on to that? Yeah. Zion Williamson is out for more time, basically. We don't know what that necessarily means. He was already ruled out for the All-Star game, Chris, and then he will now be, I think it's just multiple weeks beyond that is basically kind of the, the new timeline. You're talking about, Mid-March at this point, um, m- multiple weeks after the All-Star break was what David Griffin from the Pelicans said on Sunday right before we started recording. So uh, I don't know if a hamstring injury necessarily scares me all that much, just like if I'm looking at just the actual diagnosis, Chris, but we've just seen this too often with Zion and the the specific and unique body that he brought to the NBA. and it just 
feels like he hasn't been able to catch a break. And I don't want to be too down just based on this update, but um, the, the worst fears over will you ever really be able to rely on Zion for 82 games at a time? We're, we're five years in now. I just, I think you got to start to feel like the answer might be no. It's, it's not going to be a player that you're getting for large chunks of seasons. It's just a, can he be ready by April type of player is, is really where he's at right now, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. I mean, and for the, for this season in particular with the Pelicans, like this just has changed what their season is in terms of seeding, in terms of, of everything else. They're six and 14 without Zion in the lineup this year. When he's been on the floor, they're outscoring teams by 9.7 points per 100 possessions, according to the clean of the glass. That is an outrageous number, you know, factoring a garbage time in that metric. The only player on their roster is Larry, that has a better mark is Larry Nance Jr., and that's among the real rotation players. But like Zion is a, so much of a driver of what that team is. And it just it feels like this was a team that was so ascendant early in the year, in part because how Zion was playing. You know, maybe not all-star starter level, but I think in the all-star conversation. And instead, you're getting a team that has now kind of fallen back in the standings a little bit. The West is obviously very, very, very congested. It's a it's a it's a tough spot for them to be in in terms of like, okay, like, you know, when do you get him back? How do you handle him the rest of the way? Like, you're probably you are, I am sure, still handling you know, his long-term future, but it's like you're half a game up on the Warriors. You have the same uh, record. You have the same winning percentage as as the Wolves, although they've played two more games than you at this point. You know, you're a game behind the Clippers. You're, you know, you're a game and a half behind the Suns who just got Kevin Durant. Like, you're kind of at risk of falling a little bit further here. And like, you have teams outside of the top 10, even in Portland and the Lakers within striking distance within three, three, somewhere between three and one and a half games that can really push you. Like, if Zion isn't back, in a reasonable amount of time and they don't kind of get right. Like their season feels kind of at risk of never reaching kind of what it felt like it could be much earlier in this season. Absolutely. And you know, you look at Ingram, not really being Brandon Ingram since he's been back. And I don't know, there's scuttlebutt that you hear around the league with these insiders will say, you know, people are worried and like kind of, side-eyeing his health situation and he's always been uh, a little bit of an injury risk himself so it was a team we knew their season was probably going to be predicated on health and again unfortunately it has been I kind of see the Zion thing you know at at best just because look he's going to be brought back slowly no matter what he was even you know being handled fairly delicately before this like real injury so to speak early in the season when he was playing he still missed games here and there just to be patient Kind of see it like what Robert Williams was in the postseason last year, Chris, where he misses the first two games of the Brooklyn series for the Celtics. Then he misses uh, the end of the Milwaukee series. Then he misses one of the Miami games. And then finally, by the time he gets to the finals, they they start playing him, you know, 25 plus minutes on a nightly basis. He plays all six of those finals games. But like, that's your best player, though. That's not like your sixth best player, which is what Robert Williams was, you know, so. It, it feels really hard right now to look at the Pelicans and say that they're going to make any noise when both of their best two players, as well as their far and away best guy are just, you don't even know if like they're both going to play in game one of the playoffs. If they get that far, that honestly is a, it's just a big bummer to me. I would like to see this team. I would like to see Zion getting to play for something a little bit more. And it feels like we're not going to get that. Like this feels like a team that if they're going to even be in the playoffs, they're probably going to be in the play in and like, 
that that doesn't guarantee them anything. I mean, they could get the Warriors or something like that and lose. They could like like they could very much just be at home with all these picks and all this stuff, obviously, and like they still have a bright future, but it feels very much like they're just kind of like it's stuck right now because of the and the, the Zion thing. Just I, you you hit on this, and I think it's correct. Zion, you you probably can never bank ever on Zion not missing like a certain amount of games every year at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just probably going to be one of those guys where it's like 50 to 65 games is is a healthy year. And there's just players like that in every sport, you know. Um, but the fact that he's so young and already at that point is is frustrating. There are there are the success stories like Steph Curry, right, who deal with a lot of stuff and then they figure it out and, and science and their regimen and their, you know, professional capability to like dedicate time to figuring it out ends up paying off. But with Zion, we already had those questions. He's obviously a lot bigger, a lot heavier than Steph ever was. And so it does make you start to worry. Um, I think we're going to have a lot to chew on with these X factors, Chris. So I think we should dive in. Do you want to just go back and forth on one each? Do you want to go team by team? And we talk about if we have differences of who the player is. I'll let you start us off, but you tell me how you want to f- uh, fly through these. So I think we should go back and forth, but let's say like I nominate a team and then you nominate okay. another team. Let's say I nominate a team and I say I pick a player. Let's say us like so my first one, for instance, is Chris Paul on the Phoenix Suns. So then you would say, OK, I yeah. also have a Suns guy. I would I'll, let's talk about that guy in detail or the, the guys in detail if we pick someone different and then you will go pick another team and we'll go on until our lists are done. But and I, let's say also cool. at the top that the one thing that I, we maybe did this a little bit differently is I picked X factors for the teams that I think actually could win the title that I have in like my like upper echelon title teams. I think there are other guys to kind of look at you. You have some ones that are kind of outside of maybe like the top top contender pool. And I think that's good that we have a big, big list to kind of sift through. I went like upper echelon title guys. Yeah, you're being very selective with your championship contenders. I, I feel like- I have, uh, tier, I have tears. I have tears. Absolutely, yeah. I do. So, and and look, some of this is like- Yeah, you know, let's, start with, yeah. let's start with Chris okay. Paul then, because I think that's a good- This is this is number one with a bullet for me though, to be like, Chris Paul is- Chris Paul <laughs> is one of the best players of all time. He's one of the best guards of all time. But the Chris Paul- that exists right now is not the Chris Paul that was in the finals a couple years ago with Phoenix. Go look at his basketball reference. Go look at, you know, his, just the film. You see him night in, night out. It is not the same guy. Like, his two-point percentage is down. And for a guy that has been the king of the mid-range, the king of that leaning back one-legged mid-range pull-up that is unguardable for a six-foot guard, and it's incredible, He's not been that guy. He's only played 37 games this year. He's playing, you know, 31.8 minutes a night, which is pretty in line with what he's been the last several years. But he, you're not going to be able to ramp up that workload, I think, in the same way. He's also now in a situation where they have Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, along with a healthy Devin Booker, kind of puts him in maybe the right role for what he is at this point, as being the third wheel, as being the third guy in that triumvirate. But what he looks like, I think, has a lot to say about where the Suns end up as far as where they end up in the title race and how good they're going to be, how they match up with Denver. Like he, He's going to be vital in every playoff series, and they need him to be healthy, and they need him to play at a high level, I think, to win a title. And I, I would hope it happens. I would love for Chris Paul to get a ring. I'm a big Chris Paul guy, despite some of the, the things that have happened with him and, and how things have gone wrong. 
but he's he's the biggest biggest X factor of all these guys because of the KD trade and because of his legacy on the line as well in a lot of ways. So I think there's a few things to parse through in terms of how he's played this year. I think one in terms of the games played, you never know for sure, but I, I think that speaks more to the Suns slow rolling his returns than it does that he was like in dire straits physically for long periods of time this year. Like I don't think he's had a really injury riddled season so much as they just want to make sure he's fresh. And I think it's worked since he came back in January. They, so he got hurt. Then he came back. Then he got hurt again and came back again. The second return where he basically has been healthy since then He's looked really good. He's looked like the old Chris Paul. There have been some takeover moments. There have been some times where he looks like the guy who's going to be able to create a basket out of thin air like he always has. I think when you're talking about fast forwarding to what he's going to look like with Kevin Durant and and really what his X factor status will mean this season, why he is so important and, and what that could look like, Chris, I think to me, he really is he's going to be able to play the role that I thought he was going to play from the jump this season Mm -hmm. before injuries and everything else killed the Suns. I think you're going to see a Chris Paul. Like, do you remember how Jason Kidd played for like the title winning Mavs team? Yep. Or we've seen it with like Steve Nash for the Western conference final Suns team in 2010 when they played the Lakers or to go to the women's side, the way Sue bird has played for her the last few years of her career where they're really like, ball movers and floor spacers and team defenders more than anything else, like in terms of what they're expected to do. And then maybe they can burst out of that for moments here and there. That's what I really think Chris Paul will be on this Durant led Suns team. Cause he has two of the best scorers in the NBA next to him. And so what he, what he was losing from his game, I don't think they're going to need as much. And I, I hope that will make him, a little bit ready. I mean, even setting aside whatever I feel about the Suns, I'm like you. I, I just want this guy to get a ring, and I want the perception to be gone from him that he that he fails all the time. Although the obvious like history doesn't lie, but I, I think he can find a role for himself that'll work here. Um, even if you never know with injuries, you never know with all of a sudden he's dropping the ball everywhere, and suddenly it's that he had COVID. But yeah, can't predict that. You can't predict that. But I think he's set up for success here is what I'll say here. Here you may have seen this already, but one thing I'm going to look at with him is his catch and shoot uh, three point numbers. He's at above 50 percent. It's only one point three game, but he's above 50 percent on those. this But it's more than he's like ever taken in his career. Right. And he was like under. Yeah, like under one per game last year. And I wonder if as a way to kind of maximize what he is. And this is like a comfort thing with him and just to kind of keep him kind of like he feels like a guy that even if you're going to have him be the ball, if you're going to have him be the ball mover in particular, having him be a guy that can like let it fly from three and space off of your main guys could be a really big deal. And there's not really reason to think he's not going to make like a big number of those shots. And it just feels like a way to keep him engaged yeah. and get value out of him and get the most out of him in this other world. And like, I mean, honestly, like if there's sets where he's like the spacer off of Duran and Booker, like oh, he's going to get a good shot. All these guys are going to get good shots. And if he just sticks those, like this, this is a very different thing than like when he was with James Harden in Houston and they made a real run or even a couple of years ago when Phoenix makes the finals. Like this is 
a chance for him to contribute at the highest level in a different way than he's ever been asked to before, I think, is what this sets up to be. It's funny with these guys because they, like, he has been pretty open about, like, it's uncomfortable to take catch-and-shoot threes. Like, that sounds hilarious for a legendary basketball player to say, but you'd be surprised how much of a real adjustment it is for a star who's used to having the ball in their hands doing different types of things. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the same with Harden and Philly, right? Like these players, Luca doesn't take catch and shoot threes. It's just not what their muscle memory is built in for them to do. They've really committed to having him get more comfortable. Like even the young guys on the team weren't afraid to kind of like poke fun at him. Like, yeah, we're, we're trying to get Chris to just let him fly. Like, so I think that the, the effort they've put in, even when it was like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson taking the ball out of his hands, even last year, Jay Crowder would 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 take the ball up. Look, look, boss. It's only going to benefit bo- them bo- now that it's Chris Paul. Boss man wish is sure he's like, you know, like that's a good move for for boss man. He so. thinks he's better probably than Chris Paul. Yeah, but yeah, no. Now that it's Kevin Durant, you would hope it. It's even more natural and and it's even more like obvious to him of like, okay, the best thing for the team is for me to step back. But I mean, Chris, I think the real reason he's an X factor, probably more than any of that, is is really just the health, right? Because they're now a team that's so top heavy that they're not going to win a championship if it's, you know, Booker, Durant, and like suddenly Landry Shamit is in the starting lineup or something. Like they they need all three of those guys with how top heavy this roster now is to have a, a real shot. Yeah. Let me just let's last thing I want to ask about him. So his two point percentage. Yeah. Forty five point seven percent, six point nine attempts per game. That would be the lowest number of his career, uh, except his second year in the league when he was with uh, with New Orleans. What do you make of that? Is that a concern for you, considering he is one of the mid range gods of mid range gods that has ever played in the NBA? Yeah, it's concerning, obviously. I think it's probably, uh, I don't have it pulled up because it's not a number that's readily available, but I would imagine that it is better lately. Um, let me see. Let, let's look in, in February what it's at. He has just by the eye test and by his overall production in terms of points and everything been much better since the, the calendar turned. He is at, uh, let's see, two point percentage. It's not pulling up. He has been much better, is what I'll say. That second return from injury, he has just looked like Chris Paul again. He's even getting to the basket. He's taking those shots. And so if you're reducing the ask on him, I haven't seen so much problem with the, the, the legs under the shot or the burst to get open or any of those things for those classic vintage Chris Paul middies to feel like, if he needs to take and make one because that's what the defense is giving him in a second round game when Durant's in foul trouble or whatever, that I'm going to feel like it's not possible. I think it is. I just think you got to gotta get there, I think is really going to be the thing for me. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to another team. Who are you nominating team-wise and what player are you nominating for this? Yeah, let's go to the Clippers. Okay. Um, there could be any number of X factors on the Clippers. I think the the whole roster, honestly, has some question marks with the Los Angeles Clippers. But the guy that I have is Paul George. Okay. And it looks from your notes like they were not on your contender list. They're not which is an interesting they're, conversation they're not in, in and of itself. They're they're not in my tier one. 
I have like a okay. clear tier one of teams that I feel really, really good about, and the Clippers, I, I don't. I think like it is very possible. <laughs> That's fair. It is very possible. Like this just like works out and like whatever, and it's like ah yes, you just get really good players. It's just like the 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 way this is kind of momentum wise, kind of moving forward with some of these other teams is it feels a little more trustworthy. Yeah, so it kind of speaks to some of what we talked about related to the deadline, right? Where they get rid of Luke Kennard, they bring in Eric Gordon, they are now starting Terrence Mann, which uh, Terrence Mann Hive can can stand up and salute now. I'm a founding member, had him as a top 20 pick in 2019, but that's uh, that's okay. So he he's going to add to this. Eric Gordon is going to add to this. They kept Norm Powell. They did not get a point guard. And so what that all means, Chris, is they're not going to rely a lot on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to be their end-all, be-all people with the ball in their hands. Like, they, there was this conversation for so long about they need a traditional point guard. They got rid of all of them. They got rid of Wall, they got rid of Jackson, and they got rid of Kennard, who was probably the closest thing aside from those two guys to being one. So that's kind of the starting point. I feel like you also get to the injuries, which are very clearly affecting him this year. He's dealt with a knee injury all season. He's He told media recently, Chris, he's... Uh, still on a minutes limit, which doesn't sound great. I just think like with Paul George, we think of him as this type of player who he's kind of just like glomming on to Kawhi and getting these load management opportunities because the Clippers are letting, you know, the players run everything and it's just uh, a madhouse and chaos. It's like, no, he's injured. Like Mm -hmm. he has been injured most of his career with one thing or another, whether it was the third place MVP finish season when he had the shoulder thing, he obviously had the gruesome, break of his leg and he's dealt with stuff his whole career and you can see it in the stats. So I just think they, they kind of double down on Kawhi and Paul George are going to be our offense. And I would feel pretty nervous about that. If I'm a Clippers fan, considering the types of seasons that both of them have had, where just all the numbers you look at, all the things you look at, even minutes for somebody to be coming along from an injury, it's already February. And I don't feel much better that those guys are going to be, ready to go physically by the time the first round hits. Paul George and Kawhi, if they make it out of like the first round and make a run in the playoffs, are going to have to play like every other night. And like them just kind of sustaining that is the king. And it's the thing. It's like, I think you're right to single out Paul George in this because when Kawhi has played particularly of late, I have found him to be is just incredible and and playing at a really high level and playing in a way that would make you think that like he is going to do it on top of the track record. And like, that is not necessarily like Paul has won. He has, he has done things at a, at a high level. He's been a really good player for a long time, but it just doesn't have like the resume of Kawhi. And that's not totally like a, a fair way to necessarily even look at this, but it's like, it's like part of the, what is going on with him. I think to some degree, right? Tell me this, like, I think with Kawhi, one of the funny things to me is like this, might sound like a negative, but I actually think it's a positive. Kawhi's been trying to manage playing with pain for a half decade now, right? Like he won a championship trying to manage pain. And so I guess I just kind of trust, like you watch him and you can very clearly see a player who is picking his spots, who is, you know, giving the level of effort and intensity that he knows is going to allow them to win, but not overdo it. 
And I just look like the the statistics I was talking about. He has a low free throw rate again. Paul George does high turnovers again. And every Clippers fan just pulls their hair out watching both of these guys, admittedly. Although I think PG being the main culprit because he doesn't make them as high of a clip as Kawhi does. Just settling for bad contested jumpers time and again in crunch time, which signals to me that he's not a player in attack mode because probably he's not there physically. And you just add all that up and they're now a very clear top two and some stuff. And I don't want to be disrespectful to the players on the roster, but that's really what this team is. And if one of those guys is, is loose and not being as good as you, you need him to be, you're not going to win a championship. So maybe you are right to not have them in that tier, but I do think they can get there. If George is great, I just don't know if he can be right now. They are the ultimate for me team. Like if it happens, I will like very much understand it. And if, it doesn't happen. I like won't be surprised. Um, what did you make of Paul George? Like kind of openly advocating for Russ. They're buddies. I don't think he'll be. They played like, well. I, I mean, they, I they, they were they're... good together in Oklahoma City. They were like that's that's a fact. They were, they were. But I think it speaks to like what we just saw, right? They 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 decommitted two point guards. Why are they going to bring another one in? I do think from like a culture perspective or just sort of like a person perspective, he was very close with Reggie Jackson. And now, now Reggie Jack, like he, he's kind of the reason he did that for Jackson to get there. And they, they did that. They signed Jackson and it worked out pretty well, but now to, to get rid of one of the buddies of, of Paul and, and then potentially not go forward with signing the other one that he wants, I could see that being a little bit of a frustration, but I mean, look, if, if they win, I don't think that anyone's going to, I don't think this is going to be a problem. And I do think if winning is still the goal, uh, I don't think I would sign Russell Westbrook. No, uh, I don't really have even a good take about where Rush should go. That That's where I'm at with that. Okay, um, let's move on. I'm going to go... I'm going to go to Denver next. You just mentioned the guy I'm going to pick. And this is like... I'm not even going to deny that this is like sort of a weird pick. But here we are. Reggie Jackson is my pick. Not Jamal Murray, who I think has been great over the last month and is going to absolutely have to sustain that for Denver to be the kind of team I think they, they definitely could be, right? But what they just happened, what just they did, though, is they trade Bones Highland. They clearly had a point guard that Mike Malone didn't really trust, and that was that was an issue. Then they go get Reggie Jackson, who's a different kind of player, but more proven, um, has been in the league longer, obviously, all of that stuff. Now you're in the situation with... Reggie, where it's like he is going to need to come play minutes for you because they have a need a backup point guard. I think he will make them better. And he needs to acclimate playing with Jokic. I don't suspect that's going to be hard. If there's any player in the league that I would suspect it's easy to play with in short order, Jokic would be near the top of the list. He makes all of these guys better. He juices all of these guys. Adam Mares from you know, DNVR had a thing out on his Twitter the other day that like the top like five players in the league and in, in overall plus minus are like Nuggets players. And it's like, I give Jokic probably just like an obscene amount of credit for that. So, you know, like good, good, good for Jokic. He's that good. He's could win MVP again. And like, I, we, I, I at least will not like have an issue with that. But Jackson is going to be like a different team that has a title window for a team that needed to get a backup point guard. And this is like, I think maybe they're more important acquisition than Thomas Bryant. I am really curious yeah. to see how he looks. He's going to, they, they needed to nail this. They got the best guy on the bio market. I think I would suspect but he has to acclimate to this in a hurry for this to work. And I want to, I just need to see how it's going to work. I'm surprised you think he 
is going to like play enough to be like a really big difference maker or like make or break type of player for them. Because I agree, like we, we talked about the Highland thing and just how weird it was and how expectations were very high for him at the beginning of the season. But the begin uh, by the time he got traded, he wasn't really even playing Highland and they had a rotation without him. Like I look at that team and I see their top eight as the five starters plus Bruce Brown, uh, probably Thomas Bryant, yeah. I would think, or Jeff Green, depending. And Flacco then Kent- Christian Brown. And Vlaco Kanchikar, like might yeah, be like maybe, ahead of Jeff Green at this yeah. point. Maybe Chanchar, right? So Chanchar, excuse me. I don't know what, like, I think Reggie Jackson will play and maybe in the regular season a lot, maybe in the playoffs a little less, but I could see, you know, I, I just always zoom forward when we're talking about the playoffs, like a must win game five, who's in the rotation. I don't know if Reggie Jackson is, so that's probably why I would have him outside because they were making do with Highland not even in the rotation and maybe Jackson will end up with the same fate unfortunately I th- it feels I think I think that's possible I just wonder if they were searching for like a backup plunker that's why they picked bones that's why they gave him an opportunity that's why they have Ish Smith around and Ish Smith has played some time played at times like I just I want yeah, I, a lot yeah that that is just where I wondered like they're looking for this this was like the best guy that could get on the buyout market and he ends up just kind of being like an important piece for them to some degree yeah, I think Bruce Brown is somebody to watch there too. I could see him if it doesn't go well with Jackson to your point as a possibility because again, I don't I definitely don't think you're saying Jackson's going to like be the best player for them, but it's, you know, where does he go and what does that mean? And one of the ripple effects I think is Brown could just end up playing Bruce Brown could end up playing yeah. a ton for them and and just kind of being that like backup ball handler if it doesn't work and then you're stretching your rotation a little bit so i didn't really have one for the nuggets chris i think if i had to pick one and this is gonna uh this is kind of hilarious because i'm just becoming a caricature of myself a little bit with every team that i look at and i look at an x factor i end up picking whatever the young wing is that uh is gonna maybe play or maybe not play or whatever so i look at and i say christian brown would be my x factor for them whereas like if he if he really can provide something and and go toe to toe defensively with some of the better scorers, like if he could guard Devin Booker for eight minutes in a playoff series, you know, that would go a long way for them. Make, make his threes, get on the offensive glass, the stuff he does, but he's another one. I'm not even positive. He'll be in their playoff rotation. So nugget. We'll see. Nuggets just feel very solid to me. And if I felt like I had to talk about them in this way, Murray would have been, I think like the default answer, but it's like, I am the way he's played the last month. I have very few reservations. Like, yeah, you know, he's missing a game here. Or there with some knee inflammation. They're being still being very cautious with him. But like the way he's playing, I kind of just I'm like, OK, like I think he's at that level where I'm not really too concerned about this. All right, let's stay with the real like for sure contenders here um, the the top tier that you have. And I will pick the Philadelphia 76ers. And my X factor with them is Tyrese Maxey. I went back. Well, I watched the game against Brooklyn on Saturday, like the first half, because uh, Mikael Bridges was playing incredibly. And I just had a moment to myself to, to mourn the, the passing of Mikael Bridges as a son. That game, T- Maxey was up and down. Um, but the game against the Knicks... He was very good. He had 27 points. He had had a rough start to February. I think he gave some quotes to the media that he was not in a great space mentally. And he talked about like just sitting with his parents and just like venting for two hours, like really helped him, which like, hey, great. We're getting some real brutal honesty from the Philadelphia 76ers this week. And I'm all for that. 
Um, but obviously the questions are, are, are pretty clear with Maxi, right, Chris? It's mm-hmm. like, was it going to be, is he going to be happy with the bench role? He's heading into extension talks after year three here. Um, how, how much will teams actually attack him on defense? Because I think he's very good for being six feet tall, right? Like he's not like a bad defender. Like we think of some like Chris Paul at 37 at, you know, sub six feet tall, like Maxi can, can get steals. He can guard the point of attack. He can get through screens pretty decently. It's just that he's small. And so I just wonder like, how will teams game plan against him? And as Doc Rivers has to adjust out of that, how does that sit with Maxi? And can he stay productive and engaged and happy? Because they do need him. He he's he's just a third offensive engine that can create for himself, which even like Tobias Harris can't really do if they're going to really pull this off and win a championship. They need him, but he just has a very weird situation right now that he's going to have to buy into and try to find a way to pro- be productive in. I think he he's not who I have picked for Philly. I, I picked Harden just because like Harden needs to show up in the playoffs and like not kind of struggle and, and it needs to be like the real partner for Embiid for them to win a title. But Maxi, I think is, is like the real right pick just because they need his scoring. They need the ball handling. They need that third guy. He's their best chance of getting it. And I think defensively in, in certain series, he is going to be put through the grinder and really have to show up. Like I think even like a Cleveland series, for instance, he's going to have to spend a lot of minutes defending one, one of Darius Garland or one of Donovan Mitchell. And just I can guarantee you that in that series, Mitchell's going to do whatever he can. He went whenever he can to do whatever little screening stuff he needs to call for. And 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 the Cavs draw up to get him one on one versus Maxi. And like Maxi has to do enough in those matchups to not 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 even just like slow him down or stop him. He's not going to do that, but he has to be competitive. He has to. And if they get Boston, well, like if he gets Boston, like he's going to exactly he's going to have <laughs> to do with Tatum. That's the gonna, real problem. Yeah. But it's like but like before they get to like the title title contender, let's maybe see a team that like theoretically they, they, they could see that's like maybe like even a step below that. Right. Like he has. To- yeah, I hear you. But I, I guess what I'm saying is the it's not even like I agree. Boston would be a much tougher team in general. And so you don't even know if they'll get that far to play them. I'm just talking about set aside Mitchell or Garland, who are kind of the same size as him. You talk about a team with a big wing who's just going to, you know, go go get him in the post or, or just, you know, run through him. That's the that that's why Boston jumps out to me as like, you know, Tatum has a freaking foot on this guy. You or know what even, I mean? And that's just going to get ugly. Even Milwaukee, like this, like Drew Holiday is like a much yeah. bigger player who can do some damage. In the Middleton. Middleton's huge. Like they had like yep. he is in a conference with lots of guys who are bigger than him and he is going to have to deal with that in that way and like that it puts a lot of pressure on Embiid if he if if he can't and he or he has to just be so good on offense that it has to kind of outweigh some of the defensive stuff like he almost has to be such a positive on the other end to outweigh some of that stuff he could have a couple really hot games and that could happen it's just it's tricky yeah it is it is tricky they they use him well as a in in their zone and I think that's a way to, to to keep him effective where he he really can just use his speed and quickness and and, and fast hands, steel creation to make a difference. Um, he's shooting 38% from three. So I think you feel comfortable that when he's out there, he'll make an impact. I just, the way I see this going is his role will decrease because of some of those questions. And how does, how does that sit with him? And, you know, this is a team with, you know, a lot of people needing to sacrifice and adjust. And I just wonder you know, the young guy having to do the most of that is we just saw it with Bones Highland. Not that it's a one-to-one comparison, but but that can sometimes be the squeaky 
wheel uh, with the championship team. But um, yeah, Harden's a good one too. I think this team has a lot of question marks. Look, if, if, <laughs> so. if Harden doesn't like perform at the level he needs to, then Philly's not making making a real finals run. It's just, it yeah. is as simple as that with Harden, where he's at and what they need from him. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to need to score more than he is right now. So that that's a pretty big, uh, more of an adjustment from what he's currently doing than even someone like Maxi. But back to you, who is your next team here for X-Factors? All right, so let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks next because it's Chris Middleton. I, I, I thought about Crowder for this, Brendan, because they made a big deal about getting him. Like, their interest in him was was months-long searching for him, right? Like, that was, like, a whole a whole thing. <laughs> it was a courtship, yes. Yeah, uh, of that, you know, five-second-round picks. Good good for them. Hope the love is, is, is everything they kind of want it to be. What I... Middleton has been awesome in, the, in lately since he's come back this time they have him showing up the night the non Giannis lineups as i've been really important that gives them something they just absolutely needed when when he was not playing they have really the celtics for a little bit were kind of closing a gap within teams in the east or excuse me extending their gap over teams in the east kind of got out of the bucks are not right there it is one two of those two teams at the top of the east right now and, you know, Philly, Cleveland, you know, Brooklyn obviously have kind of like now fallen back from, from that upper upper echelon, at least in terms of, of record. Middleton yep. is the guy that is like, you know, you think about him not being in the playoffs last year against Boston. Like, you know, maybe they win that series if he's there. This team can, can win a title, but Middleton has to be there. He has to be kind of the best version of himself. And then you think about, okay, he's, this is the shot you've had since day one of you and I talking about the show. It's one of the things you've been most on with Middleton. I think you're dead on about it. So I'm going to clear out to say it his future and like what he decides to do with the player option what it means for the bucks future what it means for Giannis's future is such a big big deal he is one of the most important players in the league the next couple of months and in a lot on a lot of different fronts to me he was like if i if chris paul was my one post durant trade middleton was my my one a like right right up there with how important he's going to be and how big of an x factor he's going to be on so many different fronts yeah i mean the it's kind of hilarious we've talked about the middleton stuff so i think you know, and, and Zach Lowe talks about it a lot. It just kind of dropping hints of like, keep an eye. Like, I, I think the Bucks are one of these teams, Chris, that could look very different if they drastically underperform. If they catch the wrong matchup in the first round, if they lose to a better team in a really embarrassing fashion, get swept. Like, you don't, you don't know what it'll be. But if it doesn't feel like they're heading in the right direction, I think they could make a lot of changes. And I think Middleton, in this case, has... Some of those changes in his hands. I, I think, you know, you would probably look at Mike Budenholzer. You probably just start to, to look around and explore what this situation is going to be. What I was getting at that's funny to me, though, is this team is so insanely old. That's the thing. They added, <laughs> they got older with Crowder because they traded Nuora. I mean, they also got rid of Ibaka and Hill, who are pretty old themselves, but... Wara, and Wara was like one of their only decent young players, although he never could really catch on in the rotation. But the, this is just a team full of guys between 30 and 40. That's all it is. Joe Ingles is here. You got Brooke Lopez here. In addition to these superstars, Crowder's like 33, 34. Um, they are not spring chickens. And that is exactly the type of team you start to, to sniff around, potentially shaking up because you, you have Giannis, who is one of the younger pieces, crazily enough. And you got to keep his 
you got to keep his window open. You can't just keep committing to players who are on the downside of their careers. So maybe the Bucks wouldn't hate to move on from Middleton if things go wrong. You just, you never really know. And, and it's probably going to take a bad loss for anything to really shake up. But uh, this East is going to be no joke, so it very well could happen. Yeah, I, I don't envy them trying to figure out that situation at all. It's very, it's like... <laughs> It's so delicate, right? Like it is so yeah. complicated to figure some of that out. And I, I just don't know what you do to, to kind of navigate it. And like if you're Middleton, it's like you have this weird balance of like, okay, obviously probably want to win another title, but also like, you know, like hot, like the health stuff. And he is 31. He'll be 32 before next season. This is also like prime, like last contract season for him, right? Like this, this is a guy that is... Yeah at that point where he's going to get a, he's going to get this one more big contract or at least like a couple of year contract and he's got to like look a certain way to probably get it from the right team and like you know maybe like the and he might be the best free agent on the market depending on what happens with like Harden and some of these other players he could be like the prize for anyone with cap space well if, weren't you if you were like like one of these other teams wouldn't you probably prefer like to get him if you're Dallas or if you're like or maybe not Dallas because I just went and traded for Kyrie but if you're one of these teams that maybe wants to make a splash wouldn't you feel like better about him as a bet than you would like you know Kyrie even at the age I think I think he Kyrie's could be, too, he's but. one of these players yeah well he's one of these players to me that could be like he could be good for a, a, a winning team or a building team and so I think him hitting free agency could be smart. There also is a version where maybe they just extend him one year or two years. It doesn't have to be long-term from Milwaukee's standpoint if they feel good about still running it forward with this group. But a lot's riding on him. And this is a, a powerhouse in the NBA and how they play this year and, and what he does is uh, one of the central storylines, I think. I think he was kind of the impetus for us uh, us doing this episode in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. um, I'll move over to one of the guys that I see as an impetus for doing this episode that's come up already on our show in the past, which is Desmond Bain. I don't even necessarily feel negatively about him. He's been very good since the new year. He was a killer in the playoffs last year. I just think we've talked a lot about Memphis and I feel decent about the Canard trade, although that's not going to be the difference between them winning a championship and not. And Bain to me just has to be awesome for them to get where they want to go. Like he has to be consistently, you know, 20, 25 points a night, efficient, his assist percentage has been a lot higher this year. I think that was the same case in the playoffs last year. He can't just be, you know, I'm going to make my open threes. He has to be creating and doing it for his teammates. Defensively, I'm not super worried. I think they have the infrastructure and he's been part of that. But it's not so much a negative on him. It's just he has to keep it up. And that's a lot to ask for a player who I think is what this is year three for him. Just like we were talking about with Maxi, He was also in that covid draft class so it's not as if he's like some seasoned veteran who's been through this a lot and they have their eyes on a title he has to be probably the second or third best player on a championship team that is that's a not the way we normally think about desmond bain i guess i'll say no i i think that's dead on he that's that bain is a guy that is integral to everything that i think they need to do he is kind of in in the in just kind of the center of kind of every little every kind of little thing that kind of could matter with them. I have them just like a tier below, which is maybe just me being some, something of a hater or whatever. But like, I, I think that I have them just like a tier below some of these other teams. And it's not even like a Bane thing. Um, it's, it's just like, it feels like it's just, there's just something still like a little behind, especially the, this Durant era. 
How, can I ask you just how do you pick him? What is your thought process behind picking him over, say, like Jaron Jackson Jr., who also is like this really interesting young player, very, very good defense player of the year candidate, all of that stuff. But, you know, is, is a guy that like maybe we don't think about as like exactly on the same level as Ja at this point in time. Because I just think offense is what they need. Um, I think to beat, like you just said, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, or beat Jokic and Murray and their shooters and everything else, they need to match offensively what those teams are. And Jaron Jackson's not going to be the guy who does that. I think maybe in his future, he could be a creator offensively, but he's not going to go from what he is right now, which is some interesting moments and some, some creativity to the number two scorer on a team. So Bain's going to be that. And if that's the case, then he probably needs to be even better than he was in the playoffs last year because they didn't get where they wanted to go. And so that's it. I mean, I, all their players are just, they fit so perfectly. They, they slot in. We all know what everybody's role is on Memphis, but I guess my question with that team is what is the next level? How do they surpass what they did last year and really crack in? And I look at Bain as probably number one on that list. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's correct. They, he will have to be massive if they're going to make the kind of run I think they are, they are hoping for. All right, so my last one. Boston, I had a hard time kind of picking one for them. But I feel like it just, I, I go Robert Williams, and maybe it's like in tandem with Horford. Maybe that's like the right way to look at it. But they need Robert Williams to be healthy and dominant on defense and the kind of the best version of himself for like the three months that the playoffs exist if they're going to win a title. If he's not kind of the anchor of that defense that was historically good down the end of last season, then like this is just like a, a, a different team with with different expectations to set for it, perhaps. Like that is the reality. They they need him. They need Horford. That is the backbone of what they're doing. I think you can make a case for like a Grant Williams as well. Candy, is he going to shoot hot enough? Is he going to defend well enough? Like you could pick maybe one of their guards to get a supplemental, maybe Marcus Smart, who you've seen the importance of him, I think, while he's been kind of dealing with some injury stuff of late. But I went Robert Williams for that because I think they need Time Lord just as that rim protector, as that lob threat to just kind of bring everything together to what they're going to do to kind of, to kind of navigate the, the whole entire playoffs. And these think about like the, the play, they could play Embiid, they could play Giannis, they could play Cleveland. You get to the finals, you could see, you know, Aiton, you know, you could see um, Jokic. Like they're going to need him. All of these teams that they're probably going to face have bigs and they're going to need their really good young big to be healthy and around for them to kind of, I think, kind of navigate all of that. Yeah, I think of the playoffs a lot as optionality, right? Do you have answers to the questions that different matchups and moments are going to pose for you? And so I think Williams just gives them another one of those. You know, I think that's really what it is for me. I think in the regular season, they're they're playing it smart. They're winning anyway. They don't really need what he's what he's giving them um, to win games and stay at number one. Maybe they slip to two. I don't think that's really that big of a deal. It's really just going to be the playoffs. Cleveland was actually the matchup that I thought of uh chris with when they might really value having him around not only just to match the size overall that cleveland has but also you know the the verticality and the 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 vertical spacing that jared allen has even evan mobley like you well, want and, and like it, you want somebody to match that whereas Embiid, it's it's going to be horford who you really you know maybe williams doesn't even play a ton in a matchup like yeah, that but sure. but cleveland is one that that jumps out for the, me for sure. i went to the cleveland one is right because the mo the the sneaky thing with cleveland 
If you have the buzzer, Jake, hit it. Producer Jake Stevens, please buzz me because I we're talking about I contenders. I Cleveland is is in this conversation. You're I, good. I, well, we can do a buzzer. We haven't had one in a while. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Mobley has gotten a lot better on offense to where like he is sliding enough ball. He is creating for himself a little bit. He's not just like standing there and doing anything. And I think like what that means you do with Robert Williams would be really interesting. Like, do you try to stash him on a, on like a Coro and like, let's say a Coro, you shot well of late, but we don't believe that's going to hold in the playoffs enough to, to really maximize. Like, what does that look like? It would be such an interesting, he's such an interesting chess piece for them defensively in that kind of case. And like, I, yeah. if I think about how they might yeah. defend, like let's say they, they say they, let's see Denver in the finals. Like, what is their, like, what is their version of saying like, Okay, PJ Tucker defends Jokic or Draymond Green defends Jokic. Is it Horford and then like Rob is like the plays like the Joel yeah. Embiid, like Kevin Looney role? Is that like what that looks like? How and how effective yeah. can it be? I, like he is just like the chess piece that they can move around to do stuff with. Joe Mazzulla can do stuff with on that on that team. And it's like I like it's like I don't have Jalen Brown questions. I don't have Jason Tatum questions. <laughs> like those guys are just like bona fide. This the, this is that they're set. The other one I thought of. Yeah, they're set. They're they're very set. It is it is like picking nits a little bit. They could pro I mean, like they could win a championship without Robert Williams healthy, I think. I know you said that they need him. The net rating stuff bears it out. You're totally right. He was killer last year, but they've just been such a cut above and they're so they're just so steady that I almost think like they they could win without him. Yeah. So it is sort of like up upping your ceiling, giving yourself more answers. The only other one I would say is just from a health standpoint would be Brogdon, but we know what he is. It's just a matter of, as it has been for his whole career, is he going to be out there? Um, I want to move to the team that you just mentioned there a couple times, who they faced in the finals last year, uh, the Golden State Warriors. And I have Andrew Wiggins as the X Factor here. Um, he obviously missed some time. It was 15 games in the middle of the season. He had an adductor injury, then he was sick. They just traded for Gary Payton, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, which kind of to me was a signal of they're not thrilled with what their perimeter defense looks like fully. And that to me speaks to some some wariness around Wiggins. Maybe it's physically, maybe he's just having a down season for whatever reason. He's not attacking as much offensively either. Turnovers, I think, are a little higher, if I'm remembering correctly. Like he was what some people said was the second best player in the finals last year. So he was already key. That's not any breaking news. But considering they're even less deep this year, I don't feel like even if you tell me Steph gets back and, and looks like Steph again and Clay is, is great and whatever, without Wiggins, really two-way ability, but I'll I'll say more specifically defensively, I, I would be pretty worried about them. He's he's quietly very important and not having a very good season to his standards of last year. Yeah, you know, particularly like they don't have like the out of porter kind of option if if things like went a little bit awry. Like they 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 miss that piece and that's a little bit dicey. I Brendan, I can the the one I keep going back to with Golden State and I didn't I didn't have them on militia, which feels wrong. But I like just hater. I you know just big big hater over here. But I keep thinking about like what Draymond Green said at the beginning of the year where it's like he is like the emotional kind of leader of that team. Like he takes a lot of the blame for the shortcomings. I kind of just feel like it's like maybe my answer there is just like Draymond is like is Draymond as like the catalyst, the leader of that team, just going to be a guy that is like going to kind of maybe help them like figure some of the shortcomings out. Like can he get to a place where that sort of worked itself out a little bit? Also, just like is Steph Curry going to be healthy? And that's not like a, a injury. Well, yeah. Like, like this. What does he look like when he comes back? Is like one of the big questions the rest of the year. But I Wiggins is Wiggins is a great great shout. Um, it's 
It, yeah, I think Poole could be there too, you know, just because he's been not very good all year at this point and got paid a lot of money. And I think somebody uh, somebody in Warriors world was kind of putting out the the feelers or like initial planting the seed that maybe Poole's the guy who ends up getting traded after all the drama around him getting paid over the other guys. And I was kind of surprised to think about that, but I guess it's like, if he's just not going to be consistently good and they still see themselves as championship team, then maybe he, he is. So there's a lot riding on this playoff run for, for pool as well. I think. Yeah. I have one more. Okay. Let's, let's can we get, yeah. can we hit one really quick? Yeah. And they're, they're probably a stretch as a contender. It's the most niche one. Yeah. But you, this is the one I give a shout for. out to my man. <laughs> yeah. My man, Josh green. Um, and this is, again, I, I, I memed myself here because every single pick I had, except for Paul George was a young wing. Um, but this guy's very good. Yeah. I don't like people are going to start watching the Mavs again if they haven't been because Kyrie's there and he's averaging 18 points per game on 60% shooting in February. Now I know that's only like a, a handful of games, but if you watched the Luca Kyrie debut on Saturday night, he was guarding Fox at times. He has a really high basketball IQ. He's like the quintessential off-ball offensive player in terms of he can cut. He's going to move the ball quickly, make quick and good decisions. He can shoot. He's making absurd amount of threes this year. It's not going to sustain, like, I think it's close to 50%. Um, he was a guy who came out of college, and he was down in, in Arizona, and he was kind of like a ball-in-his-hands type of player. And it looks like we're finally seeing the evolution where he's comfortable in a smaller role off the ball but like whether people know him right now or not, this dude's going to be starting and closing games for Dallas the rest of the way. They do not have a better option. That's not even an insult to him. He's also been very good, but he's like, if he doesn't play well, they're not winning a championship. Like it's, it's at that level with him because of how they've thinned out since the Kyrie trade. Yeah. And it's like for them to hit on him has been a big deal. Cause like the, the, the thing for a long time there was like, Oh, they could have taken Desmond Bain and they didn't. And, but green yeah. green turned out to be like a really, really nice player. And a win and not having to give him up in a, in a trade, I think, was a really, really nice, like important thing for them just to kind of keep some depth to keep some things. Yeah, he's he's absolutely the guy that if they make like a play, even if they make like a playoff run or in like a high profile first round series, he's the guy that like people would be like, oh, Josh Green's pretty good. And we'll be talking about him differently. That's like the exact guy. He'll be like the the Herb Jones from last year's first round or, you know, those players always pop. He'll he'll definitely be that guy. Yeah, the in the. The Kings Mavs game from Saturday was lots of fun. I would sign. I would uh, sign up for that in the first Great round. Game. Sign sign me up for for Mavs Kings in the playoffs. I would I would like that instead of like Mavs Clippers again. De'Aaron Fox is as close to unguardable in some of those late game situations when he's coming downhill as there is in the NBA. He's uh he's filthy. Man. He's having, I think, one of the seasons we maybe like haven't. That hasn't been discussed as being really good as enough. Like I think Sabonis, and even for, I, I've been guilty of this. I think has had one of the the a really good season. I think Sabonis is in contention for like third team All NBA center. I think he's been at that level. But Fox has been awesome, and I'm I'm, I'm very I'm, I was very happy I was very happy to see he was an All Star. I was very happy to see he got in as a replacement at the very yeah. least. The Kings fans will tell you that Sabonis is their more most important player and Fox is their best player. Mm -hmm. Like that I've I've seen that sentiment from a lot of people and so yeah, but Josh Green didn't really have much to 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 say about Fox putting buckets on the Mavs late in that game, but look, he's also like 21, so time will tell, but he's he's very fundamental for them and I don't know if I see Dallas as a championship contender. I think they're 
an incomplete team after that trade, but if they're going to get even close, Green's going to have to be off. So is it, we'll end on this. Is there a team that like you didn't get mentioned that you feel like you should have in this exercise? Is it like a team you skipped over for whatever reason that you feel like you should have put in here? No, I think there's other teams that could win the championship potentially. Um, who did we not talk about from the West? I feel like there's an obvious team that we missed in the Western Conference. Um, I guess I'm look. I'm thinking of the Kings, but they're probably not on that list for me. So yeah. maybe not. Um, yeah, it feels like yeah, maybe, maybe the, not. Yeah. Maybe that was it. I feel like the if there are teams we missed, I mean, I don't. The, we're neither of us are going to have the Lakers in that conversation. We're not going to have, you know, the 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 Blazers in that conversation. I think in the East, you. I I think it feels right that Cleveland isn't in there. I think they are just like a slight bit behind, but. I think the biggest NBA game of this week might be Cavs at Philly Wednesday because if the Cavs win that game, they do get the tiebreaker over Philly in the standings, which which would be a big deal. Um, but yeah, like I mean, like okay, now you get the buzzer. Yeah, hit me with the now buzzer. You get That's the buzzer. fine. But it's like you know, like you look at the West. It's like Nuggets. We hit the Nuggets. We hit the Grizzlies. We you you hit the Mavs. We hit the Suns. Hit the Clippers. We talked the Zion thing kind of takes the Pelicans out of this. Like yeah, I was gonna say that's kind of their X factor is exactly what we started the show with, which yeah. is. Are they even going to have a team that we're talking about at all by the time the playoffs come around? Because it doesn't it does not feel that way right now. But no, I think you're right. I think we hit everybody. You want to? Uh, we'll be back. You don't want to talk about like Mike week? Conley yeah. and the Timberwolves? Like you don't want to no, steady hand no. on Mike Conley? If the Minnesota Timberwolves win the championship, I think I will uh, probably just quit doing the show because I will have no grasp on how basketball works. All right, let's clip yeah, that off. And that's let's, not even disrespect to Minnesota. Let's put that on a cool <laughs> graphic. Throw it on IG and let's let's watch the numbers come in for that one, Brennan. Because I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, no, Minnesota content doesn't do numbers. We know that it's okay. Um, all right, that'll wrap us up for the week. Thanks you. Thank you to Jake Stevens for producing the show. Thank you to Nick Morgulis and everybody at Den of Geek for whipping up the video and social content that makes this thing get to all of you. We'll be back later in the week with more, probably more X factor talk, Chris. We haven't talked about what we're going to hit next, but we had an idea for some of the tier below guys who have really broken out this year. I think that could be a fun compliment for this show. We'll see. That'll wrap us up. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, we are. You can also hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform, including YouTube. And we'll talk to you all later this week.